it's truly, it's truly an amazing thing that the Lord of all the universe loves you, loves me so much that he would come down to give his life for us. Like Eric said, we wouldn't even be worthy, wouldn't even be able to surrender to him. It's, it's a gift. It, it really is. And my prayer for us that during this series, that, that God would speak to our hearts in such a way that we would view surrender to him as, as a privilege, an opportunity, really, not, not an act of weakness, but an act of strength. Not something that limits our life, but something that helps us to find real life. Because I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the way to real freedom, to real life. That's our God's love for you. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and I'm just I'm honored. I'm excited to get to share God's word with you today. We're starting a brand new series called Surrender, and we're starting a new season. Uh, on uh, Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we celebrated Ash Wednesday. Uh, just had a wonderful service in the sanctuary. Um, all, both our worship teams coming together uh, to lead worship, to bring us into the throne room of God. Uh, Pastor Linda brought a powerful message on repentance, and we started off this journey journey of Lent together. Now, maybe you're newer to church and you're like, I don't know what Lent is and I didn't know I was on a journey. What are you even talking about? Well, Lent is kind of a churchy word, goes back historically. It's from a word that means 40. Uh, It's a season of 40 days uh, in remembrance of Jesus' 40 days that he spent in the wilderness fasting, being tempted by Satan. And Jesus remained faithful through this, and and it's a journey for us to help us grow closer to God. Uh, Many people fast from some certain things. Some give up social media or a certain type of food or drink, a certain hobby, something like that. And it's not just simply a way of denying ourselves. That's part of it. But also to open up our hearts, to open up our minds, say, God, I want my true desire to be you. I don't want it to be all these other things, right? These comforts, these other things. Um, and, And I want my true desire to be you. So that might be something you choose to do. Now, There's some Christians, you know, a little bit sketchy. They want to fast from, like, homework and uh, showing up on time, alarm clocks, uh, heated steering wheels. Like, these are lesser fasts, you know. Might want to go a little bit higher than that. But whatever, God, if God calls you to do something, to, to fast from something, just say yes. Just say, God, would you work through this in my life? This new season is called Surrender. We're going to be spending time in Jesus' words, John chapter 13 through 16. Uh, Bible nerds know this as the upper room discourse. It's one of Jesus' most famous teachings, and he's there with his disciples. They're in the upper room. Uh, He's about to institute this sacrament of communion that we will celebrate later this morning, and it's a powerful, powerful time. These are like Jesus' last words to his disciples before he is to be crucified. And so we're going to be in this, these few chapters and, and a couple other passages in the coming weeks in this season of Lent. And you might say, well, surrender, okay? That feels kind of tone deaf in a world where Ukraine is being att- attacked by, by just an, an awful uh, enemy evil attack here. Why would we say surrender? We want to see victory, well, you have to understand that biblical surrender is, is different. There's a different nuance to it than, than that, okay? 
in biblical surrender, the, the scenario is different because this is a battle between God and, and Satan for how, who's going to be Lord, who's going to be leader of your life. Are you going to do things God's way? Are you going to follow Satan's way? And, and, and originally, we were, we were created in the image of God, but yet in the Garden of Eden, we chose sin. So for all of us, we have this perfect image in which we are created that's been marred by this sinful nature. So there's a bit of civil war that happens inside of us. That's where temptation comes from, to, to sin, to do things that are not God's will, God's way for our lives. And so we're choosing who will be the Lord, the leader of our lives. And sometimes we mess this up. We say, well, it, it's a matter of if I will surrender or not. No, you will surrender. It's to whom will you surrender? To whom will you surrender? The battle is between God and Satan, not between God and you here, okay? And, and so the question is, am I going to put God's ways as the leader of my life, or, or am I going to follow Satan's ways as the leader of my life? And James says it this way, James 7, or James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. So here's how this works in real life. Okay, what is, just give a picture of surrender. Let's say that you, you're married or in a significant relationship and you work for a company, okay? And at this company, they, they hire somebody new and this new person is real nice and honestly, you find yourself kind of attracted to them and you've got this tension because you're married but you're attracted to this other person. That happens to human beings, right? And so you, you're wrestling, you're struggling and, 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 and as you go on, you find yourself uh, spending more time with this person than, than what you used to spend. You find yourself, um, you know, just looking for opportunities to be with them. You, when you know you're going to be in a meeting with them, you find yourself dressing up a little bit nicer, presenting yourself a, a little better maybe than what you usually would. And, and you're kind of rationalizing. You're just, it's, it's not a big deal, but uh, I've got, Susan, can you hand that to me? Thanks. Um, but what you're beginning is this process of, of surrender. And, and you may not even see it. You may say, no, no, I, I, I'm not. I, I've got this. I, I'm good, right? I'll just, we'll text a little more. It's, it's not really a big deal, right? Or, well, you know, we, I, a little flirting. What does that happen? It's not, it's not really crossing the line, right? So what's the big deal, you know? And, and Satan looks at you and he sees somebody that your actions are right here. And we don't look at it that way. Oh, it's not a big deal. No, it is. It's steps of surrender to things that are different than God's will, God's way in our lives. What if we were different? What if instead we said, you know, it's a temptation, and I need to be cautious here. So first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build into my marriage this relationship that God has called me to. And so I'm going to put my marriage first. I'm going to date my spouse. I'm going to value my spouse above anybody else. I'm not going to take risks of crossing lines because I love Jesus and I love my spouse. 
and this is what I'm, I'm committed to do. And, and I'm going to set some healthy boundaries. I'm not going to be mean, but I'm going to set some, some healthy boundaries so that I don't cross lines that, that, that would hurt me, would help hurt that person, would hurt my spouse, would hurt my children, all these. I'm not going to do it because I want, I want to surrender to God's ways in my life. I don't want to wave the white flag to Satan. I want to wave the white flag to God's ways, and I want to be different. I want to be different. That, that is surrender. That is surrender. It's not a matter of if you will surrender. It's to whom. To whom will you surrender? And there's one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. There's another who came to give his life as a ransom for many. Who do you want to follow? Who do you want to follow? There's one who created you. There's one who wants to destroy you. I think the choice is clear. But it's difficult. It's difficult because we got that sinful stuff inside of us that causes us to kind of lean that direction, to, to go the sinful direction from time to time. Friends, could we lay aside our pride and put Jesus at the center? Because at the root of every sin is pride. It's me saying, I'm doing it my way. In reality, I'm following Satan's way. Let's put Jesus at the center instead. I want to invite you to join me in the upper room today, okay? Uh, we're going to go and we're going to be where Jesus is at here with his disciples. And Jesus is going to show them love in a very profound, life-changing way. And quite frankly, it's been a challenging week for Jesus. It's been a very full week for Jesus. Palm Sunday, he, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? And big crowds, big excitement, all this stuff. On Monday, he goes in and he cleanses the temple, right? He turns over the tables and, and, and it caused a whole bunch of controversy. So Tuesday, he gets into a big spat with the religious leaders, right? It's, it's a very confrontational kind of thing. Wednesday, honestly, we don't know what he does. The Bible doesn't tell us. A lot of scholars think that he visited the dentist that day, because if you look at those resurrection pictures, he's pretty spot on, you know, so maybe that's it, I don't know, uh, but th we don't know, but Thursday, now we're to Thursday, and Jesus is going to do something on Thursday that is going to just, it's going to change the world, honestly, it's going to change the disciples' lives. On Thursday, Jesus is going to meet with them in this room, and he's going to continue to teach them and he's going to give them an example they'll never forget. So Jesus is here, and the disciples start talking. And they start playing, Luke tells us, they go into one of their very favorite games. And this game is called, Who's the Greatest Disciple? They actually played it numerous times. And the, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what we said, but I think we can kind of read between the lines, figure it out, right? Like, I can imagine Peter, right? Remember Peter, he was always one to kind of put his foot in his mouth, right? And Peter's like, hey, guys, I've been thinking about it. Jesus said, I am the rock. I am the one on whom he'll build his church. I am clearly the number one disciple, hands down, right? I, I walked on water, for crying out loud. Why is this even a discussion anymore? Matthew's like, really, Peter? You sure about that? Because if I remember, you're all walking on water, right? And you're like, oh, I'm drowning. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. <laughs> you were pathetic. You should have seen your face. I think you wet your pants that day. I mean, that was just terrible, right? 
They're like, well, Matthew, what, what, are, what are you talking about? You're a tax collector. The only reason we don't beat you up is because Jesus is here. But remember, we don't like tax collectors, okay? That obviously, right? You know, that's, that, that's probably what, you know, one of the other ones said. And John speaks up, and he's like, well, actually, I think I'm the greatest disciple. Why do you think you're the greatest? Well, because I am the disciple who Jesus loved. What do you mean you're the disciple who Jesus loved? Oh, it's in my new book. You should check it out. It's coming out soon. <laughs> disciple who Jesus loved. Yeah. Bartholomew speaks up, and he's like, shut up, Bartholomew. You don't even get a speaking line in the Bible. You can't be number one. We all know that, obviously, right? Somebody's like, hey, hey, Judas, you're kind of quiet over there. Maybe, maybe you're number one. Judas is like, oh, I'm not number one. I don't know. Jesus is trusting you with the money, and the religious leaders, they seem to really like you. I mean, maybe you're number one. Like, no, nah, no, nah, it's, it's not me. I'm not number one. They go back and forth, back and forth. And imagine what it was like to be Jesus in that moment. I'm going to invite Rich to come give me a hand here. Imagine what it was like to be Jesus in that moment. You're here. You're with your disciples. You've been teaching them. You've been healing. You've been, you've been laying hands on the sick. You've been, you've been modeling humility and all this stuff for three solid years. And where have we gotten to after three years? We're still arguing about who's the best disciple, right? I mean, I'm glad I'm clearly not Jesus. We all get that. Because if I was Jesus, I would have been like, none of you are the best, right? You're all number 12, okay? And Peter's like, that's not mathematical. Shut up, Peter. You're all number 12. You don't get it. You don't understand. I've been preaching humility. I've been modeling this. I've been teaching this. What? How do you guys still not get this, right? How is it possible you still don't get this? But you know what? Jesus is not like me at all. Clearly, we get that. He says nothing. He just listens to him argue. But there's a thing in that day. When you came to a dinner, you didn't just walk in and sit down to eat. That is not how it worked. When you came to a dinner, you would actually come in and you would sit down, and there would be somebody, actually a, a servant, right? Not a not a dressed up person, there'd be a servant there who, who would, you know, pour out some water to wash your feet. You might say, well, why on earth would we do this? That seems odd. Well, here's why. In those, we, we've got this classic picture of the uh, Lord's Supper. Da Vinci gives it to us. It's beautiful, right? It's uh, this ultra-fancy room, a uh, bunch of European guys with, with really long hair and lots of makeup on, and they're very rich and they're very white, and none of that's accurate, okay? Sorry, Da Vinci, not trying to put down a historic work here. It's beautiful, but it's not very accurate, okay? That's not how people ate. That's a Western way of eating. Here is a Middle Eastern way, and you'll notice the table is low to the ground, okay? The table's low, and so they recline as they're eating. They kind of sit there and recline while they're eating, and so that creates a little problem, because you, when you're sitting there and you're reclining, the feet are a little closer to the food than what I like to have, right? I like the feet and the food to be long distance from each other. And say in this culture, even more important, because when you'd go out in those days and you'd be walking, your shoes would get a little muddy, right? Your feet would get a little dirty. We got dirt roads. We walk everywhere. Animals walk on the road. You do the math. It's not a pretty thing, right? 
And so we'd come in, and we wouldn't have nice shoes like Rich and I have on today. No, we'd have kind of dirty feet, you know. And so there would be a servant who would come to wash feet. Well, problem being this day, there was no servant. Jesus and the disciples, they're not rich. They don't have any servants. And so somebody should have done this. But what were we doing instead of that? Oh, that's right. We were arguing about who's number one now, weren't we? In fact, maybe that's why they were arguing, because if you didn't have a servant, it was supposed to be the lowest person on the social ladder who would wash feet. That was the job. Perhaps that's why the disciples were busy fighting over this, because nobody wanted to wash feet. So Jesus is listening to them fight. He's sitting here. He's, instead of going off on them like I would have gone off on them, the Bible tells us that he takes his robe off, and he goes over to them, and he grabs a towel and this basin. They're still arguing until one of them realizes that Jesus is taking off his shoe. Wait a minute. Hold up, Jesus. No, no. <laughs> that, that's not your job. Don't do that. That's one of us. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get it. We'll get it. But this is Jesus. He knows exactly what this means. And it's who he is. The Son of God, Son of Man, did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this, though. It's not your place. It's not your business. You're the Alpha and Omega. You're the Son of God. You're the beginning and the end. You're, you are God come down to earth. You shouldn't be doing it. Jesus, one of us, will, we'll get it. We got Jesus, put the bowl down. You can't wash our feet. What was it like to have the Son of God wash your feet? Rich, I love you. You're my son. I give my life for you. You, you are an excavator who builds great buildings and structures for people. You do a great job. You honor me in the way that you work, in the way you treat people, in the way that you do business. You reflect me in the way that you live day in and day out. And yet, those things that you build and construct are, are wonderful, but for you, you're building more than buildings, though. You see, when you pray for people, when you serve God here in your church in so many ways, you're building things. They're going to last in eternity. You're not just building Buildings, my friend, you're building much more than just that. You're building kingdom buildings, things that will never fall away. What would it be like to have the Son of God wash your feet? Because that is exactly what he did that day.
And it's what he does for you and for me every single day. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Love you, buddy. Jesus showed them something that was more than words could ever say. He didn't have to directly confront their behavior. His actions made it clear where he stands. Love is not telling others how great I am. Love is serving. Love is giving. Love is surrendering to the will of God, to the work of God in my own life. It was uncomfortable for them that day because it was convicting. And it leads us to think, what if we lived this way? God, forgive us for the times where we're talking about how we're number one, where you call us to pick up a towel to serve. What if you treated your spouse this way? Instead of always acting like, I'll do something for you once you do something for me. What if we loved our kids this way? What if we treated our customers this way? Our students, our parents, even our enemies, Jesus would say. What if we loved like that? That is a profound, world-changing kind of love. That is the kind of love that Jesus wanted his disciples and consequently us to experience as his final act of love before the ultimate act of love when he went to the cross. This is how Jesus shows us who we are called to be. See, serving is not just something that I do. Serving is who I am. It's who I am because it's who God has created me to be. We get confused sometimes and, and we think that we're like spiritual consumers, right? Because, you know, we live in a capitalist society. We're used to being consumers. It's not all horrible. But the fact is we're not here to be consumers of spiritual products. We are spiritual contributors, we are part of it. Jesus, he dies, he raises from the dead, he ascends, and he leaves it in our hands. You and me, us together, the church, that he calls us to serve the world as he has done. Instead of talking about how great we are, to show instead how great his love is. And this, my friends, is the context in which he leads us to the table. It wasn't a table of power and pride. It was a table of humility and love. It wasn't a table of telling anybody how great I am. It, was, it is today a remembrance of a great sacrifice. Thank you, God.
I don't deserve it. I could not earn this. It's your free gift. Would you meet us at this table today? As we remember, as we participate in your sacrifice, your broken body, your shed blood, your gift to this entire world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that this table is not one that I need to earn or deserve because it's freely given, freely given to all who want to take that next step in faith forward towards Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. We love you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.